Hello and welcome to The Ravens, a movie and TV podcast. I'm Simon and tonight I'm joined by writer, director, filmmaker, podcaster, artist and so much more. But these are all arbitrary titles. Tonight we're here to speak to the person, the human, that is Chris. And Chris is a guy, a guy that fights demons and we're going to talk all about it so chris thank you for being here welcome back to the podcast and how's it going it's going really well and it's so good to see you and thank you for having me back on oh absolutely i mean so for anyone that hasn't that isn't familiar with you or it's the first time listening on our podcast channel then scroll back through the podcast feed and you'll find our first conversation where we spoke all about your your podcast history and also you know your uh, your filming stuff so i mean before we get into chris fights demons which is what we're gonna talk about i have to implore our listeners to go and check out hey do you remember podcast i know it's not active anymore but it's still my all-time favorite podcast you know over 200 episodes uh covering uh, you know everyone's favorite beloved movies mainly from sort of the late 80s in, into the 90s but Chris, honestly, I can't tell you enough. I've told you many, 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 many times, but I love it so much. And I've told you, I've li- I'm sure I've listened to the Little Giants episode alone like 10 times. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and now you have Rogues Gallery, which is still active, which is talking about uh, the villains from from movies and, you know, how basically their trajectory and how they came that way and all of those wonderful things, and that's still active and going. Can you tell us a little bit about about that and your current status within podcasting? Yeah, so we're on a little bit of a hiatus right now. We're going to be coming back soon. And yeah, the original conceit of the podcast was to do investigative case files on famous movie villains, so a lot of the big slasher icons like Freddy and Jason. Um, and more recently, we have really opened it up. We've been covering all kinds of stuff like Showgirls and King Kong and just it's a really crazy assortment of episodes. Um, and yeah, it's I I'm really, really excited for like we're making a, a few tweaks and some adjustments behind the scenes for when we come back. So I have had an amazing time doing that show. Um, I'm really excited about the near future and uh, to see how that one's going to keep evolving. And so I think the perception of it early on was, oh, it's like, hey, do you remember? But for horror films, um, it has really completely transcended that. It is very much its own thing now with its own vibe and its own tone. And yeah, if there's anyone out there that hasn't checked it out already, um, it would be awesome if you did, because... I, I'm really proud of what we've been doing. For sure. And I'll put the links to uh, Hey Do You Remember, Rogue's Gallery, everything that we will talk about, of course, Chris Fights Demons, which we'll get to. I'll put all of the links in the show notes so people go there and check it out. And also filmmaking that, that we spoke about, but there's been the next episode of Lucy... I'm going to get the pronunciation again. Lucy Chandler... Chandler as you'd say maybe that could be her next case is how to actually pronounce her last name that's so good that is the next episode that's exactly what it's about so it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that's out now for everyone to see right does it feel good to have that the next episode out 
It does, but it's like as, as soon as I hit publish and it's out there, it's like the countdown clock immediately starts for the next one because we've got 12 of these episodes like you said, four of them are out. Um, I have about, you know, like 90 seconds of feeling really good that something's done. And then it's immediately like, oh, I got to get to work on the next one. So, uh, yeah, but that's it's out there. And um, yeah, that it, that's it's about to get weird, that show. So this would be a good time to hop on. It's about it's really there's some like really, really interesting stuff right around the corner on that show. Yeah, and it's so cool. And so it's available for free. It's on YouTube. So again, the links will be in the show notes. The The reason that, that we're here to talk today is about Chris Fights Demons and to just set the tone a little bit for you. So we have some special episodes that we do on our podcast that are called High Flyer Episodes. And this is a reference, of course, to One Tree Hill, but we've turned it into a reference of where we've been looking back at a teen drama as men in our mid-30s, we're talking about, you know, the times that you experience in that period of life and that transition from teenagehood into adulthood and kind of the fragility of the human experience. So we've had some really deep conversations with uh, some of our listeners, people that have uh, survived cancer and how, you know, that what that journey was like and how there were positives in in that have come out of really dark spaces and spoken about all kinds of things self-worth insecurities imposter syndrome which is ironic because you know it's something that you've literally just spoken about in your uh, most recent newsletter so this is kind of going to fit into that genre and for anyone that enjoys sort of talking and looking at some of those uh you know more i guess like mental health but also just the things that we all experience as humans what i always loved about hey do you remember and rogues gallery but it's sort of maybe a bit more particular to that was that you were really open with some of your childhood memories and you know pointing out mistakes and all these things that that we all sort of go through but being able to sort of laugh at it in current in sort of current day and it's so perfect that you've now created Chris Fights Demons because now it's almost like you're looking you're talking to us from your current perspective and things that you've learned and shared over sort of more like your adult life so it's so wonderful but can you start by telling us like why you decided to do it and sort of some of the structure around it yeah, so this goes all the way back to an episode of Hey, Do You Remember called The Road to Gotham. And the idea with that particular episode was to chart all of these really pivotal moments in my life through my relationship to the character of Batman, mm-hmm. uh, like how some of my earliest exposures to that media informed the type of person I would become, the things I would be interested in, um, how my feelings about all of it have changed over the years. And then, even though it was largely a very lighthearted episode, at the end of it, I got very candid about some of my struggles with mental health and how, as silly as it sounds, Certain interpretations of Batman not only helped me understand and process a lot of what I was going through, in some ways, that character sort of saved my life or at least played a part in it, which I know sounds absurd to anyone who hasn't heard the episode, but it's the truth. 
And I was terrified to release something that felt that vulnerable and also that different from the show's typical output. But the response from our listeners was overwhelming. Um, And I mean, that's not just like the most rewarding episode of that podcast for me. That's one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had. And not really because of the episode itself, but because of everything that happened as a result of just putting that out there. The people that reached out to me, the conversations that started, the stories they shared. Um, I saved all of those messages. And there are specific lines from some of them that will be with me until the day I die. And it was one of those moments where you realize that so many of these thoughts or feelings that feel so very specific to you are actually incredibly universal. So I knew I wanted to do something else in that vein. I knew it was the first step towards something bigger. I just didn't know what. And so eventually I just had this vague notion of something centered around creativity because I noticed that when it comes to managing my own depression and anxiety, I mean, look, I've had varying degrees of success with therapy, medication, meditation, CBT. I've tried all of it. Some of it works for me. Some of it does not. But unquestionably, whenever I was experiencing any sort of creative block, when I ignored that part of myself, everything else would get so much worse. I knew creativity was one of the best weapons I had against my demons, which is where the title of the newsletter comes from. I actually had the name way before I knew what this, what form this was all going to take. So um, at first I thought maybe I was going to do a podcast miniseries, then maybe, no, it should be a book. Um, but it was just this nebulous, shapeless thing in the back of my mind for years. And then separately, Substack, which is the platform I published the newsletter on, That had been growing in popularity. There were a few that I was subscribed to. I knew that was something I was interested in exploring for myself. So I was going back and forth on all of these ideas as to what my Substack newsletter might be. And it took me way too long to have that aha moment of marrying the two ideas. Here's that concept you've had in the back of your mind for years. And here's this new platform you're interested in using. Let's put those together. And and it's wonderful. I mean, and as and I'm sure a lot of your readers are people that have migrated over from, you know, being podcast listeners or maybe even people that are that are new to it. But for people that have been fans of your podcast, it's like getting a a lovely email from you every week that just pops up in in there in the inbox. And so I I, I have well we're talking about mental health and things. I have quite severe OCD um, and part of my one of my compulsions or obsessions is that I have to have my inbox at zero before I can finish my day at work. And it's kind of like my to do list, which is like a blessing and a curse because I'm incredibly quick at responding to emails. Uh, mm. But it's also a curse because I'll be up to like two in the morning doing it. But I always uh, save your i like will leave it in there in my inbox like your the newsletter email until i have like a quiet moment and then i can just sit and enjoy it read it and because i've listened to you for years on podcasts i can hear it in your voice 
I know that sounds, <laughs> please don't think I'm a crazy person. I mean, potentially, but I can like hear it. You can sort of hear it in your cadence as well. And I can tell where the pauses would be. And yeah, it's wonderful. And so you've had, you've published how many now? Oh my gosh. I, I don't know. I mean, it still feels like early days to me, but it's probably been, uh, I mean, it's been quite a few months that it's been, it's been going, um, but I haven't been keeping count. I mean, it's definitely in like double figures, I'd say. It must yeah, be like over yeah, 10. For sure. How do you hope for it to, to develop or is this, you're just going to continue because they kind of come out like weekly. Is that what you're aiming for? Yeah, at least once a week. And um, I've always wanted there to be some sort of multimedia component to it eventually, where in addition to the written posts, there is a podcast component to it, uh, maybe occasional videos. But rather than trying to launch all of it all at once, um, I knew it was better to just kind of take it one step at a time. So for now, I'm just focusing on the writing really getting the hang of creating a new post once a week, developing the tone and the voice. And you don't sound like a crazy person. That's actually wonderful to hear. That was my goal was like, I do want this to sound authentic. I want it to sound like me. So that is really wonderful to hear because I'm still figuring a lot of this out as I go. I mean, like I said, this still feels like very early days to me. And then I think however it expands from here those next steps are probably going to reveal themselves in a very organic way, just based on how this is evolving and the feedback that I'm getting from the readers. And beyond that, I'm also just hoping that this is something that forces me to keep growing as a person, to try new things and put myself in situations that might be uncomfortable at first, because I think as you get older it becomes easier and easier to just get set in your ways and your worldview mm. gets narrower and narrower. And before I started this, I was really starting to sense that happening in certain areas of my life. I mean, creatively, professionally, just day to day, a real sense of malaise was settling in. And what I perceived to be a lack of purpose, because I was spending so much time on things I no longer felt passionate about or fulfilled by. So I hit this turning point where it became about making decisions, not based on what I thought would make me happy, because it turns out we're actually pretty bad at trying to guess <laughs> what that is. Um, <laughs> and instead looking at things in terms of... Okay, what option is going to force me to grow as a person? Because that's where you find fulfillment. And so I hope the newsletter continues to be an opportunity for me to keep pushing that idea even further. Yeah, totally. And I think it feels like to me when I'm reading it, it's like you feel like you've gone through something and then you're sharing it with other people with the hope that maybe it relates to them or maybe they don't have to go through it as tough and I think so I've spoken about this before that when lockdown happened in COVID I, I kind of was feeling good about life and then suddenly the world stopped and work stopped everything stopped and I think everyone was forced to kind of spend time with themselves and then suddenly out of nowhere all of these things just start coming up that 
are you know things you haven't really unpacked from your past and then suddenly you're faced with all of them and then all of the time to just go over it and over it and over it and so I spent all this time a lot of time and I lost you know weeks months to overthinking overanalyzing and trying to work through all these different sort of traumas and pains and internal suffering and misery that I was just creating for myself and again I'm sure that everyone had different uh, variations of this and experiences of this. And a big thing coming out of it was that I thought, well, what I will try and do is to share these things when I can, when it's appropriate with people or, you know, with my son when he's older and, and whoever, so that perhaps they don't have to go through the same thing. And that's not to say, because we all live by experience, like you have to live your own life, you have to have make your own mistakes, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But also you can have some guidance to say, hey, this is something that I went through. And maybe you don't need to go down that road, because, you know, it just it is it's a negative one, or it just ends in whatever way. And that's kind of what I feel that's what I'm getting from the newsletter is like is it's helpful guidance, but it feels like it's cathartic for you, I would hope. And is that how is that how it feels? Is it cathartic? Yeah. Um I've I've been really transparent from the beginning of this whole thing that I am doing this as much for myself as I am for the people reading it, because I launched this at was what was also a, a real low point for me. Um I had dug myself into a hole that I wasn't sure I could climb out of. I wasn't sure I even wanted to. And in, I can say this now because I'm past this moment, but this whole endeavor was like one final Hail Mary pass for me. I just got so sick of feeling like, and I apologize if this gets too heavy too quickly here, but it's not even whenever a doctor or a therapist or someone would ask me if I was suicidal or having thoughts about self-harm or any of that, the answer was no, I didn't want to die, but I also didn't want to be alive anymore either. I just wanted things to be different because Everything was this terrible circle where despite my best efforts, I always wound up right back in the same place I started. I mean, at least that's how it felt to me. And I was just so exhausted and so defeated. And yeah, it's, I didn't want to die, but I also couldn't handle the idea that this was what my life was going to keep feeling like. So I had no idea where that left me. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I also couldn't make anything. I had stopped writing. I had stopped editing that web series. Um, I just had a complete creative block. And like I said earlier, I mean, I, I know that that makes things worse for me, but I just couldn't make it happen. I thought that well had dried up. I, like, I just, I guess I have no more ideas. I guess I have nothing left to say. And so the newsletter was this last really desperate act to try and steer myself back on track. And by doing it, once I rediscovered even a small semblance of purpose, it was like, okay, 
I can kind of sort of see a way out. I've got a long way to go, but I think I can find the strength to maybe pull myself out of this. And I'm also not sitting here saying that's done. Hey, I pulled myself out of that hole. I'm back on my feet. Everything is great. That is absolutely not the case. But I do feel like I'm making progress. And more than anything, um, the great relief uh, of this newsletter and where I'm at now is that progress at least feels possible. And that's really kind of the main thing, though, is that I am not any sort of authority. I am in the trenches with my readers trying to figure all of this out. Here's what's worked for me. Here are the mistakes I've made that maybe you can avoid. Um, but it's all just a, a great big work in progress. Well, and well, thank you for sharing that. And I mean, I that's something that has always just been so appealing about you I think is that just how transparent and real and honest that you are and genuine that you are and I mean the other thing is and I think any of your listeners would agree that listening to you on like hey do you remember or, or rogues gallery is you are so funny and so quick like so quick-witted um and you know it's almost sort of like the like sort of the Robin Williams effect of where you would never imagine that someone that can make people laugh so much and be so joyous would have so much weight underneath it. And, I mean, it's really sad because I hope you know, and I hope this isn't, like, too cliche, you are so beloved by so many people, um, you know, and have made such a difference. I mean, I've listened to your podcast where I've been in real dark places, you know, myself or been you know like waiting for things like i'm sure i probably listened to some of your podcasts waiting for like my child to be born like as in you know it's uh <laughs> that was at a point where where covid was happening and i wasn't allowed in the room i wasn't just like hey you you take care of the baby i'm just gonna listen to something in the hallway <laughs> there's like 15 minutes left of this i'll be right there i just but yeah i gotta hear their final thoughts on this movie yeah i've listened to this little giants episode 10 times i think one more is gonna be the one don't worry I'll come in for the umbilical cord. <laughs> I can't ever say that I've felt suicidal, but I can definitely say that I have felt in the darkest of times that maybe maybe death is the only time I'll feel peace. And I say that from a perspective of like having OCD, it's like having a, a passenger in, in your mind and having the, this voice sort of giving like commanding you to do compulsions and obsessions to be able to feel comfortable the more stressed i get or the more anxiety i get and ocd i guess is a form of anxiety anyway but it gets worse and worse and worse until you end up like spiraling um so like when we spoke last we were talking about uh the power of looking up and that's like something that's really helped me is because when you look up you can take in what's around you and basically try and feel present uh, have you <laughs> this is a bit of an off tangent are you familiar with Eckhart Tolle yeah yeah I literally discovered him like two weeks ago and I've like become obsessed <laughs> like almost too much like I have to put it down now and his whole thing as I'm sure you know and everyone knows is about the power of, of being present and un unconscious and conscious behavior I'm sorry I'm really going off onto a tangent no this is I think this is all valuable 
okay that's good well so to give some people some idea of some of the topics you've spoken about like imposter syndrome was was the last one you know writer's block like what's been some of the like have you found it easy do, do the topics come naturally to you is there just things that that you're experiencing at the time or do you have like a list of different things that you that you want to hit um so i started out with a list of stuff i knew i wanted to talk about and then yeah as i'm writing certain posts something else will jump to mind when uh, i've asked readers for feedback and then i'll add um some of their comments to this you know growing list of of potential topics um originally the big focus of this whole thing was you know, like I had all of these things I wanted to do creatively that I had just filed away in my someday folder. You know, I'll get to that when I have the time or the money or the resources or whatever, like just always just kicking that can further down the road. Someday I'll get to that. And that file had just gotten so embarrassingly large. The list was so long that it was like, I just, man, this is just, this is so depressing. I really want to start knocking some of this stuff out. And um, so originally the, the big focus was on, okay, so all of those someday projects, I know I'm not the only person that has these. So I'm kind of inviting my readers to come along on this journey of like, let's, here's how we're going to start taking care of some of this stuff. You always hit this point where it's like there's the thing you thought you were making and then you have to let go of that and realize, oh, it's actually telling me that it wants to be this other thing instead. And I'm kind of still in that period with with the newsletter. I think whatever direction it's going to end up going in, I think as long as it remains feeling like your voice and natural, then I don't think you can go wrong, which obviously it already, already is. So, yeah. I love it. And I'm sure people will enjoy uh, reading it as well. So everyone check in the show notes. The link will be there. And uh, yeah, just please keep it keep it going before we wrap up or go anywhere else. As we are a movie and TV podcast, I have asked you for five more bad movies that you love. It was very easy for me to put a quick five list together because I think generally most of the movies that I love are technically, critically, probably not that good. <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, is is he going to have another list? How do you keep doing this episode <laughs> after episode? So, but I, that's, I'm, I'm excited to hear it though. Is that we usually do, we do one an episode on our podcast. It's like, so we'll ask, we'll do one. But yeah, it's a never ending, a never ending list. As the guest, you should go first. What have you got? Okay. Um, all right. So my first one, and also I, man, I, I know I said this the last time I was on, but it was like, love may be too strong a word for some of these. Um, not this first one. I do genuinely love this one. And <laughs> okay. that is, Mars Attacks, the oh, Tim Burton movie. Classic, classic. I love that movie. And it was not well liked at the time. Also, part of it was the the timing of the release was really weird where it came out like right after Independence Day or, mm -hmm. or close enough that that really took some of the wind out of its sails. And I think just the, you know, the way the trailers sold it versus what it actually was, I, I imagine there were a lot of confused people in the theater, if they were even in the theater, because I know when I went to go see this um, with my dad and my sister, 
it was pretty much just us and maybe like two other couples. And that was like opening weekend. So, um, yeah. And then I, I did, I know it didn't do very well critically or commercially. I don't know if it, how much of a cult following it has at this point. I know it, it has its admirers. It, it must, but I have always loved this movie always. And I, it's like, I'm due for a rewatch. It's been a minute since I've seen it. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm going to put it on the list for the weekend, uh, for sure. I, my, my dad. I would watch this with my dad as well, and he loved it. Like, because it's such dark humor, isn't it? And uh, and it is so weird. I remember what watching it. I watched it quite a lot as a kid, actually. Like at least three or four times. So weird. So wait, am I misremembering? Was Michael J. Fox in it? He uh, yes, he has a, the cast is out of control because it's like it's paying homage to those. <laughs> big disaster movies that just has this absolutely stacked cast. So, um, yeah, Michael J. Fox, Sarah Jessica Parker, Pierce Brosnan, Jack Nicholson, yes. Annette Benning, um, Pam Greer, I think is in there. Um, it's just, it's, oh my God, it's insane. And they also, the, uh, one of the main characters is played by Lucas Haas. He's the, the teenager that lives in the trailer park and he's with, has the relationship with his grandma yeah that that actor at that time with like he had like the the chin length hair and the flannel looked exactly like me when i was (laughs) when i was that age when i saw the movie and so i remember his first scene where he's like working in a donut shop or something and he's just you know sitting behind the counter he comes on screen and my dad, my stepmom, my sister, they all just do this slow turn to look at me. And I'm like, yeah, I see it too. But uh, yeah, it's an amazing cast in that movie. Classic, classic. Okay, well, I'm hoping you've seen this, but potentially you might not have. My first one, and I loved this movie, and I watched it again during lockdown, and it just, if anything, it was better <laughs> to watch it from ad- an adult perspective, but is the Damon Wayne's movie Blank Man. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. You saw it? Oh yeah, yeah. It's so I good, haven't seen so it odd. since it came out. I've been afraid to revisit that one, actually, but so that's really good to hear. Oh, it 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 lives up because it's just so it's brilliant. I I really love Damon Wayans uh, growing up, like so many of his films, but that one in particular. And I remember getting it from Blockbuster and just being loving the uh, the cover art where he's sort of falling down. And yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's still really funny. Would really recommend it to anyone that hasn't seen it. Awesome. Yeah, I loved In Living Color when I was a kid. And I was, Damon Wayans was one of the standouts. David Allen Greer, who is the co-star in mm-hmm. Blank Man, that, I was a little slower coming around on what a comedic genius he is. But that dude is brilliant. So that's like the main reason I would want to go back and rewatch that one, because I was just probably totally focused on Damon Wayans as a kid. But yeah, that oh, but what an insane, what an insane movie that it had the tagline something about like coming to save your butt, and <laughs> at the around the time the movie was coming out, my family went out to eat at a restaurant, and I don't know why I thought it was one of these restaurants where you could just like draw on the, the menu. not the table, but. No, the um. Oh my gosh, why am I blanking on this? <laughs> on the tablecloth, 
I'm like, you know, it's yes. like this cloth, this big cloth that sits on the table. <laughs> what do you call that? Um, so I was drawing on the on the tablecloth with crayons, and I drew blank man, and I wrote coming to save your butt, and my mom was horrified. And I'm like, it's they'll just like they, and then they take it off and they throw it away. And she's like, this is not that kind of restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh shit! The hand stitched tablecloth that had been passed down from generation to generation. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, well, ju- like you got to just draw over it. You just like scribble it all out so they don't see. I'm like, oh man. It's a pretty good drawing too. But what a great memory it evoked. So that's wonderful. <laughs> and what uh, what about your second one? Okay, this one is a weird one. Um I don't know if you've seen this. It's uh it's from 1991. It's a movie called Nothing But Trouble. Oh. You familiar with this no, one? Does it have um is it Martin Martin Lawrence? No. Oh, no, no I that's Nothing to nothing Lose, to lose which is also yeah. a, a good movie. No, this is with uh, – it's another stacked cast. This one's got Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, and Demi Moore. And wow. yeah, so the premise of that – I was going to say it's like if the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was directed by the Farrelly brothers, but even <laughs> that doesn't do justice to how – bizarre this is so it was written and directed by dan Aykroyd, and he described it as texas chainsaw massacre meets beetlejuice and that again like yeah that's in the neighborhood of the film's tone but you really have to see this one to believe it um it was a massive bomb critics hated it i saw this on cable repeatedly when i was a kid and even now as an adult this movie is so odd And it's so impossible to imagine any studio greenlighting this that I I kind of admire it. You have to check this out. It'll make your head spin. I almost don't want to spoil too much about it. But it's one of those like like Chevy Chase is this yuppie character who's trying to seduce Demi Moore. And they're driving to Atlantic City, I think. They wind up getting pulled over by this cop played by John Candy, who then takes them to this judge played by Dan Aykroyd, who is just this like gross, deformed, disgusting character who's got this vendetta against these rich yuppie types. And they wind up in this house of horrors and all of these crazy characters start coming out of the woodwork. And it's just like it's a horror comedy, but there's it is just like truly revolting. It is an incredibly upsetting movie and it's just, but also just so absurd. I, you have to, you have to watch it. I'm dying to know what you're, what you think of this one. Excellent. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll add that. We'll do that first. We'll do it as a double feature with Mars Attacks. I'll uh, I'll let my wife know and we'll do that at the weekend. <laughs> Don't eat before or during nothing but trouble. That's the all, <laughs> only disclaimer. Okay, perfect. Uh, well, my second one, so you may remember from our previous episode um, that when I was a child, my my dad looked kind of, you know, a little bit, if you squinted from a distance, a bit like John Travolta. He had sort of, you know, he's got the dark hair and he's a man, John Travolta. And uh, so <laughs> instead of having pictures of my, my dad, I like, you, I one time like bought a headshot of John Travolta and just had that on my wall. <laughs> but I also would, so would want to watch all John Travolta movies. One of them that I really love <laughs> And still to this day, and probably isn't enjoyed by many, is Phenomenon. Don't judge yeah. me. 
He it's very sad. He can move things with his mind. You know, I won't give the spoiler to the end, but sad ending. <laughs> Odd film, a film that probably would never be made now. Even if it was straight to Netflix, I don't think it would be made now. Forrest Whitaker's in it. No. Hated no, it. I rem- I I saw it once when it came out. More than anything, I remember the Eric Clapton song from the movie, the If I Could Change the World. Mm-hmm. I have for some reason that's more vivid than any particular scene from from the movie, but I definitely saw it at least once and that was right in that period where like the post pulp fiction John Travolta renaissance like that yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe if he'd made some different choices, the Renaissance would have lasted longer. But uh, yeah, I still love that one. What about you? What's your next one? Okay, so I'm realizing I actually, here I was struggling to come up with a list and now I'm looking at it going, I wrote down six instead of five. So, um, okay. Well, for sure, I I have to include this one. Um, There are a lot of people that are going to take umbrage with me even identifying this as a bad movie but um airheads the brendan fraser adam sandler steve buscemi movie yeah, i take issue with you thinking that's a bad movie I'm that... just, no, well uh, listen it's on my this is another one i unapologetically love i love this movie but like i don't know if by you know the strictest definitions i could say it's <laughs> it's good i love it i don't know that that you know there are a lot of movies i feel that way about that it's like i don't think people are ready to admit maybe that it's not you know um but no listen i'm i i'm bringing it here i'm offering it up because i love it <laughs> as much as i do i've seen it so many times i love that it is diehard esque and it is shot in the same building the the nakatomi plaza building um just no i i think this movie is fantastic it's hilarious and it's there are certain there are other comedies from that era that um i don't know like they're they're fine i still have a fondness for them but i'm i'm not really laughing out loud the same way i did when i was 12 this one still gets me this one still makes me laugh a lot so yeah i i love airheads oh it's the best and it's one of the like rare examples because it's early on in his career where adam sandler isn't the the main protagonist and he plays such a good supporting role within it and then mentioning having you know a resurgence of renaissance as you said brendan fraser is obviously having that right now which is so great to see and he is so great in airheads like he has that character down like so perfectly. I'm not like trying to say that it's like a nuanced performance or anything, but it is, he is portraying it perfectly. Yeah. He's not mugging for the camera. Like he's, he's, he's playing it for real, which is why it's so funny. He's not trying to get the laugh where like, which is even in, there are some Adam Sandler movies that even though I generally like Adam Sandler, there are some where it's like, it's so goofy. Like it's trying so hard for the laugh that it's, it achieves the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to play it real. Like that's what makes the humor work. And all three of them, um, Brendan Fraser, Adam Sandler, and Steve Buscemi are all like, they're playing it for real. And it just absolutely totally works. I don't know if you've seen it, but very recently um, there was like Adam Sandler interviewing Brendan Fraser about the whale and about all, you know, mm-hmm. his the comeback and everything. And they do, they talk quite a bit about 
airheads and their memories of it. That was it was really really heartwarming actually. Yeah, I I listened to that as the actors on actors. So good. I love that. I love that series. I wish that they would release that as a podcast because you have to l- listen to it on YouTube and it's fine, but it would just be easier. Like it is it is just an audio conversation really, you know, it'd be Yeah. Variety need to sort that out. But that's fine. <laughs> well, that's a great choice. Um I'm going to go back to pulp fiction cast members and I'm going to say the last boy scout with damon waynes again but and and bruce willis did did you see that okay. one? Oh my gosh shane black script of course i saw it yeah <laughs> no that and that's actually one that i think i probably like better now than i did at the time and i went through a phase in college where i was just trying to read all the shane black screenplays i could get my hands on because at that point in time he was just this mythic figure and there was just this understanding that if you want to write screenplays this is one of the like his scripts are you need to get your hands on those particularly this like original lethal weapon script you need to see how that was written and so i started with that and then i was just like yeah i his scripts are as entertaining as watching the movies and the one for the last boy scout was different enough from the movie it wound up being that because I had read the script first, I was just a little bit like, oh, eh. I just had that other version to fresh in my mind. And it was, it's so interesting in his scripts how you can see him, like he'll he'll try out a joke in one of the early drafts of something and it, it doesn't end up in the finished film, but then you'll see it pop up in one of his later movies. Like he'll, he'll hang on to that stuff. Um, and there are actually a few jokes between Bruce Willis uh, and uh, Damon Wayans in that movie that were originally in some like in the lethal weapon script and they mm-hmm. didn't make it into the uh, the actual film and so he just reuses them there and uh, but anyway yeah no that movie is just incredibly incredibly entertaining yeah it, it reminds me of watching movies like that with my dad i mean my dad have a really great relationship still to this day and a lot of it in our in my childhood is kind of based on our shared love of watching movies and he would let me watch movies like lethal weapon and die hard last boy scout terminator when i was probably a bit too young for it but i'd like have to watch it with him and then he would like make me look away when like the kids are being like melted in Terminator 2 in the playground and things like that I mean again these movies I guess they do they don't really get made like this anymore now like as in they would be it would be played so much for comedy where this has got comedy in it but it would be played more like sort of like a Kevin Hart movie what was the one that the one that Kevin Hart and Ice Cube did like Ride Along it'd be played more like that than it being more like sincere action it kind of reminds me a bit of ah uh, what's the one with robert de niro the fan robert de niro and um wesley snipes like sort mm-hmm. of like in that sort of genre so good movie but i imagine people probably don't I, I imagine it doesn't score high on like imdb yeah well and also just the level of talent involved i think it's like it's none of no one involved it's you wouldn't say it's their best work but that mm. but it's not it's not bad. It's just, yeah, there's better examples of, of what these guys do. Yeah, for sure. And what, what's your next one? Um, okay. 
you can throw the sith in like don't we're not we don't we're not watching <laughs> the rules that tough like don't worry about it okay well i'm i'm gonna go with we're talking about an action movie i'll go with a michael bay movie which generally i am not uh, a huge fan of i'm not you know taking shots it's just not usually for me um but one that i i did enjoy and this one was kind of a little off brand for him is uh pain and gain the one about the it's based on the true story about you know the um well gosh i don't know how much of it i should spoil if people haven't seen it but it's the one with mark Wahlberg, the rock anthony mackie um i was like i don't know if it's because i went in with such low expectations but um i had a blast watching this movie and even though it says based on a true story i guess something i hadn't considered and that is a, a valid complaint with it is that um you know some of the the families of the real life victims of this story i, I think took issue with some elements of it that they thought were in poor taste, which now looking back on it, I guess I can, yeah, I can see that. Um, I was just so uh, surprised that Michael Bay had something like this in him and it watching it made me wish that this was kind the sort of thing he had been doing, maybe not all along, but at least more of instead of like a decade of Transformers movies. Why wasn't he doing like weirder, smaller stuff like this. He felt more invigorated by this. It had a different kind of energy than a lot of his stuff normally does. And the humor in his movies usually does not work for me at all. I mean, it's like a lot of people say, like, oh, he has the sense of humor of a 12-year-old. No, I had friends when I was 12 that were hysterical. <laughs> like this is, it's not that it's, it's worse than that. Um, but a lot of the humor and pain and gain actually really worked for me. I mean, there are elements of it that are overblown and like where he can't help himself, but some of it is just surprisingly sharp and clever. And it's also now when, if you go back and watch it, it's just really refreshing to remember that the rock he has a little bit more range than I think he's getting credit for now because he's just kind of playing himself in everything again and again and again. But some of these earlier roles from him, like the the one in Pain and Gain, and he's got a small role in a really terrible Get Shorty sequel called Be Cool, but he is awesome in it. The Rock is hysterical in that movie. Um, and he's one of the best parts of Pain and Gain as well. Have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and okay. I've seen both, and the Be Cool one as well. And I remember I, I was massively into wrestling when I was, you know, in that period that most people were into wrestling, probably like thirteen to fifteen years old. And that was when like The Rock was at his peak. So when he went into movies, I was, I would have watched The Scorpion King in the cinema definitely like for sure <laughs> and then and then it's great it is actually really nice to see i mean we only know what people what celebrities are presenting us with of course but it feels like and i'd like to think that he seems like a really nice guy and a good guy and i think that's why everyone loves him right yeah i think you're right he definitely has more range i don't know if you've seen this but have you seen moana I yes. No, that's one of his best roles, isn't it? So good. Uh, he's singing yeah. so good in it. It's so yeah. good. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I would like to just see him do more stuff that feels less about I'm trying to manage my brand, which means just doing this, delivering this one thing that I know people want or expect from me and just like a little bit more courage to do some weirder, some more out there stuff. I think he has it in him and I think it would be really fun to see. For sure. He, he's kind of filling the slot of modern day Arnold, really. He's kind of going in that path where he can do comedy, but mainly does action. Um, And I mean, have you seen? Oh, no, I can't remember what it's called. There was like a, sin, a like a sincere acting performance from Arnold a few years ago where his daughter is uh, like turning into a zombie, but slowly and it was like yeah. a drama. I can't remember what it was called. But it was really good. And he was really good in it. Like, he actually can act. Arnold, I'm talking about. No, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. Well, he's he can, he's gotten better, for sure. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Well, okay. I'm going to go with one that probably would seem very obvious to any, any of our listeners or anyone that knows me. But I'm going to go with The Mighty Ducks 2. I mean, it must be a movie that I've seen over 30 times, if not more. I mean, evidenced from, you know, my background. Also, it's just, it's perfect. Like, it's it's nowhere near as good as the original. The first one is, is like, classic and, like, really well made, I think. The second one is, like, it's shiny, crazy sort of summer vacation sibling. Uh, and I absolutely love it. I love all of the you know, Icelander evil and Team USA to save the day and Hendrix sponsorships and just all of the absurdities about it. It just is so synonymous with my childhood. But I know that, you know, the, the way it's written and all of the things is not technically a great film, but yet to me it is a perfect film. So, I mean, that's how I feel about Airheads. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I know D2 was definitely the favorite when I was a kid. That was the one I would always gravitate towards. And um, But now, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of the live-action Ninja Turtles movies where the first one looks and feels like a real movie. And then the second one, they brighten it up and they really lean into more of a live-action cartoon sort of vibe. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, these days, if I'm in the mood to watch a Mighty Ducks movie, it's going to be the first one. It actually was when we when we did that for the podcast, I was surprised how much I I enjoyed that one after all these years. But D2 was definitely I, I mean, that was far and away the best one when I was a kid. I also want to say really quickly, just because, uh, in case we drove a bunch of people crazy just now, not that they don't have Google, but Maggie is the name of the Schwarzenegger movie you were talking about. Yes. Yes, I liked it. He cried in it. There was a tear. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, a, te- a whole tear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, what have you got? Um. Okay, so, man, are you familiar with Punisher Warzone? No. Have you seen that one? <laughs> okay. So, um, so, well, first, there was a pretty terrible... Punisher movie starring Dolph Lundgren, Louis Gossett Jr., 
Um, I think that was a canon movie. So, yeah, not a, not a ton of production value. Dolph looked amazing as the Punisher, but the acting, the performance, not quite there. Um, that I think you can watch that entire movie on YouTube. They're just like, we don't give a shit here. Um, <laughs> The and then they did one in like 2004, I think, with Thomas Jane, that also and your dad and John Travolta. Um, oh, that one didn't do as also yeah, didn't really set the world on fire. So then, I think this would have been somewhere around 2009, they decide to take another shot at the Punisher, and all of these are disconnected from the others. This one starring Ray Stevenson in the title role, Lexi Alexander directed it. This movie is bonkers. It is drawing a lot of inspiration from a comic book line called the Punisher Max series by Garth Ennis. And it does take a lot of the situations or, you know, certain imagery from that run and puts it into the film. But the tone of the movie is so heightened. I mean, it's like the visuals of it actually have more in common with like Batman forever. There is a lot of unmotivated light that's, you know, greens and purples and yellows. I mean, it's lit like a circus, um, which actually helps kind of soften. I mean, the, the violence is so over the top and gratuitous that the really heightened tone of the whole movie kind of makes the violence more palatable. It feels fun instead of like grotesque and upsetting. But there are just, there are things in this movie I can't believe they got away with. It's just really, really wild. Um, Again, I would have a hard time saying, like calling it a good movie, but it is insanely entertaining. I've probably watched it four times uh, at least over the years. Ray Stevenson is a really great Punisher. Um, it's just it's so nuts that it kind of this is after Iron Man and after the Incredible Hulk, but it feels like the kind of comic book movie they would make in the 90s where it was like before we had totally figured it out. And when they were trying to be super edgy and instead of making movies of like Wonder Woman, they started taking <laughs> these underground characters like Tank Girl and Barb Wire. Like we had a Barb Wire movie before a Wonder Woman movie. The 90s were nuts. And this feels like that. It feels just so at home with those 90s comic book movies. Um, so if if people haven't seen it, I man, if you're even like remotely interested in comic book movies, that one may have slipped under your radar. You should definitely check it out. That movie's nuts, like in the best way. Perfect. Well, I'll add that to the list as well. <laughs> My wife's in for a treat this weekend, it sounds oh, like. Oh, she's, yeah, she's going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I have two more as well. So do, do, do you want to go to six? Let's do it, yeah. Let's go to six. Okay, well then I'm going to... I'm going to save the best till last. I'm going to go with another Bruce Willis one, which I can't believe I, I didn't even, I wasn't even conscious of that when making the list, but there you go. He makes bad movies that I enjoy. I don't know if you saw this one. I think it was from maybe about 2004, 2005, and it was just called Hostage. Oh, I love Hostage with Ben Foster. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that movie rules. I love Hostage. Kevin Pollack as the dad. Oh, dude. Yeah, that. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for reminding me of that one. That one's so good. It is really good. And I, it, the line always sticks in my mind where the whole way through, they're like talking on the phone and sort of negotiating. And he's saying, you know, 
are you the guy? Are you the guy? I, I can't even remember what the point of it is. I think is he the guy that's going to get them the helicopter to get him out or something like that. But he just like screams it at him. And so sometimes I like get tem- tempted to just shout that at people at work, but they would have no idea what I was saying. And that probably wouldn't go down well. <laughs> it's so funny how many movies Bruce Willis made that were not diehard movies that would have been better diehard sequels than the actual diehard sequels. Definitely. You, you, that, that pretty much could just be a diehard sequel. That, that was what I was saying. I mean, 16 blocks is the one I always think of is like, that should have, that should have been a diehard movie. It's a couple of changes and, oh, it works so well. Um, and the premise of it, it, oh, that, how is, Anyways, but um, <laughs> Hostage is another one that I'm like, with a few tweaks, this also could have worked as, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Oh, wow. Excellent. I'm proud of that one. Okay, what have you got? Um, so the last one I came up with is uh, the Will Ferrell version of Land of the Lost. Uh, people just <sighs> yes. despised this movie when it came out. And so that was another one that I think I went into with just absolute bare minimum expectations my wife and i both like i you know when i just like okay it was supposed to be terrible but uh um and we both loved it we both thought it was like a, a ton of fun and the, the 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 sequence of like the where the god i hope i get it i hope i get it where that song's <laughs> playing and they got a dance around the hatching eggs dude that scene is so good there was so much in there i thought was so well done i was like all right it mean it's like this isn't like revolutionary or anything but i really didn't understand the hate for it at all no i i watched that with uh with my wife quite early on in our relationships i mean it came out it's like 2009 maybe and that was sort of when we had got together yeah i remember really enjoying it and knowing like understanding the tone and getting that this is it's just an outlandish comedy and this isn't to be taken seriously you know and yeah that's not market as if it is i mean i'm not like that familiar with the source material i know my dad watched the original land of the lost show and he even said he was like it was crap that's Sid and marty croft stuff like it's it's fun if you're super high, but like otherwise, no, it's cheap. It's it's just not that good. And so I don't know. The idea that there were Land of the Lost purists who didn't like it as an adaptation, <laughs> that would surprise me because it was just – I mean like I get that if it's like a fun artifact from your childhood, but I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get being that precious about – land of the lost as a property and then beyond that i I just yeah i don't know especially as a will ferrell vehicle i'm not sure what people were were expecting yeah and he was kind of like i mean he still is to an extent but he was kind of like untouchable in those in that period and yeah i enjoyed it so yeah that's a good one well my final one is not going to be any surprise either but it has to be little giants i just love that movie so much i watched it so much as a kid and i think it's just so relatable especially if you grew up not feeling like the most popular person in the world or you know had a rough time in any period of school or anything like that that uh, the idea of banding together with kind of like the misfits so to speak and and winning you know spoiler alert but they win and it's like and that's the only way it should have finished and uh yeah i just have such a soft spot for this movie i mean we 
God, cringe. In our like early podcast days, which was only we've been going for like two and a half years now. But right at the beginning, we had Marcus Toji, who played Marcus, who's one of the kids in Little Giants, on the podcast. And this is during lockdown, so maybe people just had more time. We spent just under four hours and we went through every single scene with him wow. and now i'm just thinking what were we doing like what, was, <laughs> what what must he have thought of us but the, but he was so lovely and we had such a good experience with him i love it. it's like instead of the podcast like one heat minute where they go through the movie Heat one minute at a time, just really dissecting it. A really prestigious movie like that. I love that you gave the same treatment to Little Giants. Like, this is it, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. This is the <laughs> definitive mic drop on Little Giants. <laughs> what were we thinking? Do you know, we did the same thing with Raul D. Lewis from Cool Runnings. We did every scene of the movie, and it was just under four hours. Again, what were we thinking? What were we doing? I oh, have no, no idea. I think that's amazing, especially if you've got that resource. Like, I mean, going straight to the source like that. No, of course you want to do that. I think that's awesome. Uh, but I mean, maybe we should have, maybe I should have edited that episode into like 10 minute. It could have been a whole mini series, you know, rather than just one four hour <laughs> episode. But, but yeah, Little Giants. And like I said, you're dissection of it is just my favorite like i i love it so much so yeah mm. and then you you have said and said that you you had a soft spot for it as well right absolutely i mean that that is one of my fondest memories of recording that podcast that was one of my favorite episodes to record um but also just the movie itself i i liked it more than i expected to as a kid I was pleasantly surprised how much I still enjoyed it as an adult. And I think all three of us very enthusiastically stood behind and recommended that movie. Yeah. Classic. Classic. I'm now just devastated that I didn't say Good Burger. I should have said that as well. But anyway. Oh, yeah. So I that one's always in contention for me, too. But I try to challenge myself when I make these lists to come up with things I haven't already talked about on a podcast mm. somewhere before. And so, yeah, it was it, it was a little harder when I was using those constraints. No, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. Well, I mean, it's, it's a great way to 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 round off this episode so wait where can where can people find you you know social media all of those places of course i'll put the links below but yeah where can people get at you um yeah i'm on instagram twitter all those places i think the easiest thing to do if you're interested in checking out my podcasts or my web series or my newsletter is to just go to 27th letterproductions.com that's the number 27 th letterproductions.com um, and that has links to everything, all of my projects, all of my social profiles, all that stuff. Excellent. Well, yeah, I'll put all of the, the links below, but obviously to, to the website as well. And everyone, please check out everything that you do. I, I love it all. Um, and sincerely, I've been such a fan for such a long time. So it's such a honor and a pleasure to have this conversation with you. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for being so open and, uh, you know, sharing and yeah i just continue success to you thank you so much and thank you again for having me on it's always really really nice talking to you excellent thank you <laughs>